Just inside Palm Beach County, Florida, is a small community of people who all have one thing in common. They're all committed sex offenders. The neighborhood is known as Miracle Village, and the Life Jacket Theater Company is taking on this controversial topic for their next production. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Good morning. Today I'm joined by the award-winning writer and founding artistic director of Life Jacket Theater Company, Travis Russ, who is also Associate Professor of Communication and Media Management at Fordham University. And joining the conversation is actor, singer, dancer, mom extraordinaire, Amy Hayes, who plays Pastor Patty Opperly. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Who's decided on this play, Travis? Uh, my theater company did. So uh, about three years ago, a, uh, a team of us decided to go to a community and meet with them and live alongside them and interview them over the course of three years. And we were really intrigued about Miracle Village when we heard about it. And at first I was like, there is no way my theater company is going to do a play about Miracle Village. But the more I learned about these individuals and, and heard about their stories, um, I had very strong feelings. I call it emotional confusion, where my heart broke for many reasons, both these individuals and their victims. And... Um, I felt their pain and their and their challenge of trying to move forward. And that's really what this play is about. It's not actually looking back at their crimes. It's actually trying to figure out how do they carve a path forward. And that, to me, is is the the interesting part of humanity. How do we overcome our own uh, inherent flaws and, and the pain that we've caused in our lives? Now, I haven't heard of Miracle Village. You were the first one to bring it to me. So how did you guys hear about it? We try to investigate a number of communities uh, for our next production. And we were actually looking at outsiders in small towns. That was really the, the, the topic that we landed on. And this village came across our radar. And again, I immediately pushed it aside and said, no way. But it just kept haunting me. Yeah. And I would think that when you hear a term like sex offender, mm -hmm. it, it's so broad. So mm -hmm. we always or people tend to think the worst. But you went to this community. And Amy, were you did you happen to go along with this community? So I wasn't a part of the research team that, um, that started investigating this. I came on to the project in February in their performance uh, workshop process where they were trying to create a script. So I came on as an actor later. And what did you think when they said, hey, we're going to do this production about, you know, uh, this community of sex offenders. One in? What did you think? <laughs> um, I don't think I knew that when I went to the audition. Oh, really? You didn't? I think I did. You just came because you're like, oh, it's an equity production. Oh, like actors who sing. That's me. So Travis wasn't trying to keep it a secret. He wasn't going to be like, surprised. Oh, he was keeping all kinds of secrets <laughs> at first. I, I do like to withhold information, but... Yeah. I, I say that I didn't know. I don't remember that being in my consciousness when I went into the audition. Especially as an actor, you're auditioning for many things in a day. Yeah. Obviously, I read the audition notice and I read as much as I could have. But I didn't do, like, investigation about this. I, I think I saw Miracle Village. I saw, you know. Like a small community yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, we need singers and, you know, mm -hmm. performers for a play about this small community. And you're like, and that's me. the style of music appealed to me that I thought, oh, that's me. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and then when I met Travis and Priscilla, literally in that room in that first day, I was like, oh, these are people that I, I could work with. Who's Priscilla? Priscilla's the composer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And just to, to not confuse our oh. listeners, 
we created this show based on uh, the transcripts of the interviews we conducted with the folks of at, at Miracle Village. And we, we spoke to people who lived inside this little village, and we spoke to a number of people out in the nearest town. So we interviewed about 75 people, and then our composer, Priscilla, actually took those raw interview transcripts and transformed them into songs. So this show uh, toggles between spoken text and song text. So back me up a little bit, Travis. So you've decided to do this production or you decided to visit first and then do the... What, what I'm all in, the, Robin. I'm all, all in. in. <laughs> so we decided to do the show. Of course, we, as Amy was talking about, we do several development phases. So we do sort of proof of concept phases. But yeah, once we decided to pull the trigger, we went and I, I had crossed my fingers that we would have a show. I mean, you never know yeah. with this kind of investigative work if there is a show there. Um, but after the first several interviews, I knew we had something. And of course, things kept unfolding and surprises kept coming at us. And of course, we were taking note and fusing those into the script along. How many people us. went to Miracle Village? Four. Four people. Mm -hmm. And where did you stay? Did you stay in the village or near the village? Or? We stayed outside of the village in the nearest town. Uh, and there's no hotel in the nearest town because uh, it's devastated economically. Um, take Which a, is one of the reasons why it was easy to open. Well, not easy, but they opened the Miracle Village there because that's where they would be able to be. Yeah, unfortunately, in America, extent. it's easier to uh, put things that are not tolerated by the general public in economically depressed areas. Mm -hmm. Um and so there's no hotel, but uh, there are what they call cabins near the lake. It's a beautiful lake. Uh, and they're actually trailers. So we stayed in, in a trailer by the lake. And I want to get into the production part in a minute, but I want to hear a little bit more about the people there. What were they like? Extremely warm, extremely open, and extremely eager to talk to us. Those are the folks in the village. And then, of course, uh, some individuals in the nearby town uh, we ex we experienced resistance from those individuals. Why? And it, um, resistance to talk, or because you were doing a play about you know sex offenders in this community. Both. Yeah. Both. Um, everyone wondered what our agenda was, and the way that we framed it was: look, we're not journalists; we're artists, and the difference there is we're actually we have the time, the the space, to tell your story rather than just get a soundbite. Um, uh, of course, news stories have a value, but we're, we're different in the sense that we're coming in here without an agenda. We're not trying to spin it one way or the other. We're interested in telling your story in a honest way to find the truth of your story, not to report just the facts. So do you have anyone in your play, in your production, that is not part of the village, but part of the, you know, neighboring town? Yeah, we have a fusion of individuals um, that uh, have reached out to this community in one way or the other. And the character that Amy plays is a pastor. And, and she, later in her life, has decided to become a pastor. She got her, her seminary degree, I think that's how you say it, uh, online. Uh, she's a mother of three and um, held many jobs and has decided to become a pastor. And this was her first pastorship uh, in this local town that's uh, about a 10-minute drive from Miracle Village. And she heard about this village and decided to reach out to them and invite them into her church because it 
it was slowly dying because the people in her congregation kept leaving. And getting older. And um, and so she's unwittingly sort of set off a bomb by <laughs> inviting these these real outsiders into into that community. Because I would assume that part of a challenge uh, in being designated a sex offender is there are certain restrictions to where you can live. Lots of restrictions. Uh, you can't live near a park. You can't live near a school. Uh, but you don't think about things like you can't near, live near like a school bus stop. Right. So it's cha- it was challenging for them to find a place to live. Uh, these uh, yeah. sex offenders. Is that the right term? Am I saying? Mm-hmm. They, they, and they, they consider themselves sex offenders at, at, at Miracle Village. Legally, that's the term, so they have no choice. Okay. That's just what it is. Okay. And and that covers a variety of crimes. Um, and, and we sort of touch on those crimes in the play. Um, and by infusing this narrative arc with Pastor Patty, we open up the door to exploring what role does faith play in the justice system and and what can we forgive and what can we not forgive and grace grace is a big a big 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 thing for me in this play mm-hmm. amy what did you learn about about pastor patty i'm still learning about pastor patty i've met her a couple of times and i really like her um but she's kind of a renegade but i think she didn't know she was <laughs> maybe to begin with do you know why she took it upon herself to open up this miracle village of people who are on yeah, the outskirts? I, think, I mean, I think she really does have a minister's heart. I think she's actually interested in opening up the community and extending grace where grace is not extended. I really think that's a part of her, uh, of who she is. But she also was trying to save the church from dying. And um, I think she had heard that there were some musical people over there and she had an idea to to bring in some new young music and uh, enliven the church and and attract some new congregants, what she ended up doing was, you know, exploding. And it wasn't just attracting people. It was like building a place for them to live, which is a big ordeal. And just, just to be clear, Pastor Patty is not the one who, who built Miracle Village. Uh, Pastor Patty got a pastorship in a nearby town called Pahokee, Florida. Yeah. And so she is the pastor of Methodist Church there. Pastor Patty heard about Miracle Village, mm-hmm. went to Miracle Village, and kind of recruited some of the yeah. guys to join her church gotcha. over in Pahokee, Florida. Well, and the guys, the Miracle Village guys, went to the pastor's meeting, right, in the mm-hmm. town, mm-hmm. Uh, in the area. There's like an ecumenical meeting of different pastors in the area and invited them to come to their worship service at Miracle Village and had no takers. And so Pastor Patty in that particular meeting in that moment, maybe on a whim or maybe by the prompting of of the spirit, I don't know, but she stepped up and said, I'll come. I think she has like a soft spot for the outsider. Sure. And she has a very forgiving heart. I mean, she has, she, and it comes out in the play, she has a complicated past herself. Um, and, and, and yet she still is able to, to forgive when most people couldn't. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Travis Russ and Amy Hayes with the Life Jacket Theater Company. Their new production, America is Hard to See, is a play that investigates the lives in and around Miracle Village, a rural community for sex offenders buried deep in Florida's sugarcane fields. 
So what are you tapping into inside yourself to be able to play? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> My own need for forgiveness and grace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was there something in your life that you would like to share that, you know, you you could draw from your experience to be a Pastor Patty-like actress in this production? Well, <laughs> I, uh, if I didn't believe in God already, I think I would, that, that I literally was in I had moved to New York City in February. I walked into this audition five days later, not really knowing what I was walking into. And then um, Travis offered me that, that workshop performance. And I suddenly was thrown into this world that I know really, really well. I grew up in the church. My parents are um, theologian songwriters. Um, I come from generations of theologians and writers and musicians. So, um, so you're home. <laughs> I'm, I came into home, which I, you know, here I am running away from church and then I get <laughs> land right in it. Uh, <laughs> but, um, my mother's a pastor's kid. And so this has been a really f fun and serendipitous outlet for that weird sort of knowledge that I have. <laughs> and it's been, it's been really been invaluable, uh, having Amy on the team because in, uh, she has been a, a wealth of knowledge in terms of different hymns that would be that would illuminate uh, various moments of the show. In fact, the first hymn that we that we opened the show with was inspired by a conversation with Amy. And what's what's the hymn? It is well with my soul. Travis, uh, you brought in a songwriter to use the notes that you guys have taken and create songs for your musical. What were some of the songs like? What were they drawn from? Sure. Um, maybe the best way to answer that question is is talking about the process. So Priscilla Holbrook is uh, the composer of the show, and she's really incredible. Uh, she comes from an independent theater background where she is really fascinated with the uh, spoken word and putting it to music. Um, she kind of calls it putting poetry onto people's lives, which I think is a great way to put it. So she was not part of the research team that went down and spoke to these individuals. I met with her after we did a bulk of our interviews. And just one-on-one, -on -one, I sat with her, and instead of giving her the entire library of transcripts, I said, maybe make this part of this person's story a song. And I gave her the transcript that related to that aspect of their life story. And she went through and combed through that text, and she made it a rule for herself that any lyric that is sung in a song was actually pulled from one of the transcripts, which is pretty incredible, very time-intensive. And the, the songs that have come out of her brain uh, are sort of folk and indie kind of style and really challenge you as a listener and really pull at your heartstrings. How many songs are in the musical? There are 18 musical moments in the show. And I call it a play with music versus a musical. I think that helps manage people's expectations in terms of what they're going to encounter. And well, what's the difference? Well, I think with this particular show, it's, it's uh, as Amy pointed out, the, the songs are actually an important part of the narrative, that they actually come... Uh, to play a critical role in telling the overarching story. And the 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 songs that, that help tell the individual stories are sort of like, if you think from a movie perspective, they help give a really detailed close-up of an individual and their journey. 
and sort of open up their heart to the audience and build a connection between the singer or the actor and the audience. And then they sort of stop and then they go back into to spoken word. With a musical, it, it sort of begins and ends and that's the moment of the show. The songs in this show uh, really give us an in-depth look inside each particular character and their moments of escape, which I think is a really interesting theatrical uh, exciting possibility in terms of how do we tell the story through not only spoken text but song. So we shouldn't think about it, the audience shouldn't think about it like what's that one song that we would hear on the radio, you know, that would be part of this production. We mm -hmm. it, It's it's incorporated in the spoken word. Uh, so the, the song that, that Amy's going to perform for us in just a few moments uh, is taken from a sermon that Pastor Patty did a few days after it was revealed yeah. that she, because she didn't really tell anybody. Pastor Patty? <laughs> Pastor Patty did not tell her congregation that she was inviting these men from Miracle Village into her church for whatever reason. I mean, there's certain reasons that are sort of explored in the play and we'll leave it to the audience's imagination. Uh, and so, so you guys were you, you were just visitors at this exactly at this church exactly sitting in the back and listening to what was going on exactly okay. And at this point, people start finding out that Pastor Patty has invited uh, these men from Miracle Village into her church, and she decides to give a sermon mm -hmm. uh, that 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 sort of responds to some of her critics in the congregation. Yeah, and it's a it's a critical moment, I think, for her. It's kind of a crisis point that she's been confronted by members of the congregation, members that have money and power in the congregation. And um and so how she responds to that is is it's kind of, it's a reckoning moment for her and she chooses to respond in this sermon. Um, and what's the name of the song we're about to hear? Dust and Ashes. And it was it was it was it for the Ash Wednesday or it was during mm -hmm. Lent. Right. So right. so Dust and Ashes was sort of the theme of the of the service, but um she used that moment, which is a little theatrical of her <laughs> to um, you know, to basically say, Look, we either believe this stuff or we don't. And now we're gonna hear Dust and Ashes. despise myself and repent in dust and ashes I am dust and to dust I shall return it would be easy for us to be anywhere else to but we come together because we need each other. All are welcome, all are created in the image of God. All of us have made mistakes.
It's God's amazing grace And how sweet that sound is How sweet that sound Amy, what is it like performing something like this, a song like this, with so much meaning behind it? Um, well, for me, like I said, I think this song is kind of a crisis moment, and it's illuminating not just for the character of Pastor Patty. For me, the, I think this song is thematic to what the whole play is about, that basically, you know, we come together because we need each other. We all have fallen short. We all have made mistakes. We all need grace. I do, you do. Um, and so uh, it's very authentic and organic for me to say these words because it's coming from a place of need, her own need. And, um, and the style of this song is what I grew up singing in church. This is worship music. And um, when when they sent me a version of this for the audition and I sat down and started working it out on the piano, I was like, Oh, I know this song. Even it's a brand new song that was composed for the, but, but you it, feel I it. felt I already knew this song. Let me ask you, uh, Travis, um, the name of your play is America is hard to see. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I would think the easy title would be Miracle Village you yeah. know, or something like or that. Or the Miracle Village yeah. Project. Yeah. Or, right. Or, or something, something like a little bit more clinical and removed. Yeah. And that's actually what we did not want to create. And in fact, it goes back to the the spirit of emotional confusion. And I just sort of want to dovetail with, with Amy's previous comment about um, Pastor Patty's really forgiving heart. And that's an important color that we have in this play. And um, equally, we also... Uh, address the horrific things that these men have done in their lives and their desire, their deep desire for forgiveness. And and for me as an audience member, I am torn between wanting to follow Pastor Patty's lead and forgive and at the same time acknowledge what these men have done to other human beings. And some listeners and some audience members might question our decision to do a show about this population. And I acknowledge that and I understand that. But if we if we just sort of ignore that they don't exist, we actually don't solve the problem. Sort of uh, acknowledging that this is part of our humanity um, is very hard to do. Um, and I think it's also necessary to do. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why we called it America is hard to see. It's not a problem that's only found in the sugarcane fields in southern Florida in a place called Miracle Village, but it's in every town in America. And um, I like that it makes you stop and think about what is that play about. It feels very big. It feels very epic. It feels hard to digest. And... Um, Going back to the poetry, it is poetic in the sense that it's it's putting poetry in and finding poetry in very dark places, and it's um, we took it we we actually did not come up with it. It's the name of a poem um, by Robert Frost.
America is hard to see. And I think it puts uh, the idea that you went and, you know, met these people and created this artistic expression of, of their experience, it, um, it sort of puts a face on what is a title, you know, sexual offender. That's a title. That's not a person. And it seems like you're putting or have the opportunity to put a face on these people. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any resistance in any part of the play or any resistance or controversy come up because of the subject matter? Yeah, even during our research process, as I mentioned, we experienced um, some degree of resistance where people didn't want to talk to us or they spoke to us and then they wanted us to they wanted us to alter their transcripts. Some people in the play um, experienced regret in speaking to us, and we're we're encountering that now as we're putting this play together. What do you mean regret? Well, um, I think folks like to tell a version of a story that they want to believe is true, particularly the men that we interviewed in Miracle Village. And like I said, we're very interested in telling a story that is complex and multifaceted. And we're pulling court documents that are a different version of the truth or another version of the truth. If this you will. sounds to me like it's an artistic investigative piece. That's, That's what it exactly. Like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> often I use the term investigative theater because you're really speaking to the journalist in me, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing it from a whole totally different point of view, taking it in an artistic direction as opposed to you know just kind of putting it down in in uh, in writing or in print or a New York Times article or something. Exactly. How do we bring that investigative experience to life on a stage? That's what we're interested in doing. Uh, often journalists try to find uh, the facts of the case. We're interested in uncovering the truth of the story. And I would also think someone who might not read, you know, a three, four-page New York Times article might enjoy seeing this performance and kind of it might take them to a different emotional place. What do you hope the play accomplishes? Oh, I'd love to hear Amy's opinion about this. Hmm. Well, there's a character in the play... um, who's obviously based on a real person, whose response to this whole thing is, I don't want to care about these people. People say there's a special place in hell for those people. I don't want to know what happens to them. I don't care about them. I don't want to care about them. They forfeited their right to be cared about. And I've had those thoughts. I have children, you know. I've had those thoughts about people who might harm my kids or, you know. And I think that this, I think that any time you're forced or choose to look honestly at someone's humanity, you're also forced to look honestly at your own. And actors know this. Actors have to come to grips with this. That all aspects of humanity exist in all of us. Um that doesn't mean that you have to go out and become a murderer to understand what a murderer feels like. But you do have to understand that that is in you somewhere. And um, so I guess I hope that people will be honest, maybe, about their own humanity and then also respond with grace towards <laughs> other people's humanity. And I think the question that this play asks from Pastor Patty's perspective is, is there a limit to grace? How far does redemption go? It's interesting. You're sort of almost channeling Pastor Patty's uh, voice 
in in responding yeah. to that question, which was just truly is common. In fact, the the character that you're that you just mentioned, that actress has very strong feelings about this mm-hmm. play and and the character, and probably would respond very differently to that question. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I would I would answer that question in in saying that I hope that the audience comes away with with questions and wanting to explore those questions uh in 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 some sort of form whether it's one on one whether a group dialogue um that they actually think a little differently about this subject and in a more complex sophisticated way i still hold true to the argument that we did not approach this topic with a particular agenda one way or the other the only agenda we had was we want to tell this story in an emotionally confusing way. Travis, when is the play? Where can we see the play? Give us the website where we can get more information. So the play runs from January 30th to February 24th. And folks can get tickets at here, dot org, And that theater is in the Lower West Village. So I'd like to thank my guests, Travis Russ and Amy Hayes with the Life Jacket Theater Company. Thank you guys so much for sharing your experience and all the information with me. Thank you. Thank Thank you. This has been great. I'd also like to thank my producer, Patrick Russomano. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. It would be easy for us. To be anywhere else tonight But we come together Because we need each other